This has to be the most insane thing that's ever happened on this ship. One time I almost died because I humped a statue. Isaac once cut my leg off. Welcome to Orville Land, where we discuss the TV show, The Orville. This is the podcast that says that the day I met you is the day that time began. Oof, yeah, definitely do not respond. Mm, that's really nice, Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Barrett, and I'm joined here by the, I will say, regular crew of The Orville at this point. Uh, we've got Sid Sharma, returning Hi. guest. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back from my travels, back from India. Yeah. What were you doing? Well, I went to a wedding, which was bizarre, but other than that, I just kind of spent a lot of time in Delhi, met some of my family, learned some family secrets, that kind of thing, you know? It was yeah. nice. Uh, it wasn't your wedding, right? Uh, no, it wasn't my wedding. Okay. Which, when you go to India, is sometimes a bit sketchy because you might find out when you get there. But, uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't my wedding. It's all good. Uh, it's an interesting part of the culture clash, which is what we're going to be dealing with on the Orville today. Yeah. But joining us for his second week in a run, uh, we've got replacing Shelley Peacock, but not permanently, just, you know, just today. Very briefly. Yeah. Uh, we've got... <laughs> Mr. Chris Feggins. Hello, Dan. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. It is very good to see you back here. Uh, Shelly is unfortunately not here because she's horrendously unwell, but she'll be back. Yes, hopefully. I have faith that she'll make a full recovery. I also have faith of that. I saw her (laughs) yesterday and she looked quite ill, but not like death. Mm. Good. (laughs) That's good to know. Get well soon, Shelly. Yeah. But usually she looks so full of life. She's a very vibrant person. It's true. Mm. It's true. Yeah. So it must be quite the, you know, harmful moments here in a position of weakness i agree but it's opened up the spot for me which i'm very happy about to be honest so. yeah <laughs> so anyway we usually get shelly to do a synopsis as to what's happened in this week's episode so we can all get on board and remember exactly what happened chris faggins will you do us the honor <laughs> i'd be a, it'd be a pleasure it's a culture clash this week as the crew of the orville have a murder mystery to solve it's the perfect murder a holographic weapon that vaporizes its target and then vanishes and no body as bordas's ex-boyfriend is killed during a simulation on the ship did you kill him no i promise you i did not at the core of it are Mocklin beliefs that offend the crew of the orville if you people weren't such a bunch of closed-minded bigoted that's pieces- enough mm. powerful episode <laughs> So this episode opens with Kelly breaking up with Cassius. Cassius? Cassius. Cassius. Cassius? Cassius. He's after more of a serious relationship and quite frankly, she doesn't respect his job. Do you reckon that was a thing? Because she does make a point about being like, no, I respect teachers. And I think he's a bit insecure about the fact that he's a teacher and not the commander of a ship. I think it's more his ego than her. Oh, look, I think that's absolutely a big part of it where he, like in his day-to-day life, he's probably totally cool with what his job is. Yeah. But it's like that thing where every so often you encounter someone of whom is just doing a little bit better at, you know, something in the world than you are and you start to feel as though you haven't really achieved. No, I never make value judgments, Dan. I am a shining beacon, a paragon of relativity you never have moments of self-doubt and introspective thought no no i'm always uh, all surface yeah 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 but I, I totally understand where he's getting from maybe he's totally cool with being a teacher but right now he's just thinking you know what i can't compete with this i understand that yeah. i recently went to a high school reunion ah uh, see there we go yeah where, yeah. where this, this sort of stuff comes out right <laughs> was it 10 years uh it was 10 years yeah yes surely yes. you would have had one of the cooler jobs uh cooler yes yeah, I think cool is fair, but like in terms of success, potentially not. There were there were some people with more important jobs than me, but they definitely weren't as cool. Which is you know the blanket that I I, I uh, shelter myself in. in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. But so I understand where Cassius is coming from. I, I I had the same thing. I went to my ten year reunion as well, and there's a guy who is now uh, an engineer, like a mechanic for the Mercedes F1 racing team. Mm. 
And it's like he works on race cars and that's just what I dreamt of as a kid. See, that's a cool job. That is yeah. a cool job. That, that job might be cooler than yours. I know, I know. And um, actually, you're right, Dan. It did, did rack me with serious self-doubt for a while. Yeah. Now, I didn't go to a school reunion because there was a lack of interest and so they cancelled it, <laughs> which I was totally cool with. But I think about everyone I went to school with and very few of them sort of went on to university or did much. But I guarantee if I went to that reunion, I'd still come across all these people who I assume are failures, but are probably just doing amazing things now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm. That would be even more upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> like expecting what? failure and coming uh, to to recognise that someone is actually quite successful, potentially more successful than you. Yeah, because I'd like to think at the moment I could walk in and say, you know, pretty cool job. I get to talk about the Orville on a podcast. Mm. Yeah, and I'm sure I do other things as well. Surely someone would be excited by that. Sounds like you're a pretty big deal back home. Yes. Back on Cassius, though, I feel like there was a mixture of the two. I feel like Cassius definitely, there was an ego playing into it. But I think Kelly also, without explicitly ever saying so or ever realising that she felt that way, potentially did feel that her job was more important than his, yeah. more stressful than his, and because it very well may be true, right? I mean, she doesn't look that stressed on the show. That's true. They do a lot of sitting. <laughs> a lot of sitting. <laughs> Lots of relaxed sitting. Yeah. Well, I guess the implicit thing here is that it's not actually Cassius, Cassius or his job that's the issue here. It's actually probably that Kelly still has feelings for Ed. That's kind of what's implied. I mean, this is what people are saying on the outs, but I don't really buy it entirely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very much what we're, what like what she's said on the surface, which is that, you know, she was married to him for a while. She's still got feelings for him. But, you know, whether they're those feelings or just, you know, feelings of warmth. and I like, don't know, guys. I, it's it's a workplace comedy. We've got to paint by the numbers to some degree. <laughs> like. Those feelings seem closer to the surface than perhaps Cassius or anyone else may want. Now, I've got a lifetime experience of watching TV. And for me to really feel that they've got a relationship with the future, it needs to feel like a Sam-Diane relationship where they sort of snap at each other and there's a sexual tension that lies underneath. But everything just seems so jovial and friendly. Is that not as a result of having it, like it having to be that way a bit? Not on TV. It, it's hard to like, it's hard to flirt with your ex-wife, I imagine. I don't have an ex-wife. <laughs> but you've got many ex-wives. Many, yeah. Yeah. Seven. <laughs> seven. Chris and his seven I've lived a hell of a life. <laughs> that was a real topic at the 10-year reunion, I tell you. <laughs> Some would mark that up as success. Yeah, Others exactly. failure, you know. Oh, my God. The thing that I got caught on, because I like my TV and I like the sort of backstage, like, production angles of TV, I was really quite caught in the fact they're using the Fox backlot in this episode a bit. I was doing some research on the Fox backlot, and I found out that amongst the many things that they filmed there, it was Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Yeah. Well, I was actually just astounded within the first five seconds of the open of the show. You said, oh, I've already got something to speak about. It's the Warner Brothers backlot. It looked like the Warner Brothers one, but it wasn't quite right because I noticed in the background the cinema isn't the same as the one on the Warner Brothers backlot. And then I looked at the configuration of the rest of the street and I was like, no, no, this is definitely a different backlot. Right. It would, to yeah. me, it just looked like a 50s street, but Dan picked the backlot first yeah. five seconds. That's impressive <laughs> yeah. in so many different in ways. In so many different ways. <laughs> so prior to the Awful Land podcast, we did the Batman Land podcast. And because these backlots have been around since, you know, these studios were built, you know, decades, if not getting close to a century ago for some of these backlots. Uh, like, as I said, the Fox Studios one, like Hello Dolly from the mid 50s was filmed there and parts of that backlot still exist. So parts of the streetscape that we saw were from back then. Really? So, like, work yeah. in history. Well, it absolutely is. And yeah. these backlots really are a history of cinema. 
But like the Warner Brothers one we saw on this Batman TV show from 1966, and they used that backlot extensively in the first season or two of that show. So I was very familiar with it. And also I visited it. So it was, you know. That, that also might bring some familiarity. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see a Dan Barrett holiday itinerary. Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> various studio backlots. I mean, that's largely what Trips LA right. was all about. Okay. Uh, but essentially when you are like seeing these things in real life, you can look at things and you'll recognize them immediately from all sorts of shows and movies you've seen over the time. So I was sitting in this buggy driving around this back lot and I'm like, oh, over there was, and it's like, no, no, I've got this one. And it was like the West Wing, like they're sitting out on a stoop in a season two episode and I recognized it was Josh Lyman's building. And then I saw the Daily Planet from the Lois and Clark TV show and like, because essentially they take away all the signage and stuff. So it's really just like a building facade. Yeah. But you still recognize them because you've seen these things in countless shows and movies. you still recognize them. I guarantee you would have a sense of familiarity even if you couldn't put your finger exactly on what it was. To me, it just looked like the 50s, but that's something I got quite excited about as well. (laughs) Big part of this episode has Bordas dealing with the ex-boyfriend on the ship. Now, I thought this would actually be more of a Bordas-centric episode, but instead it really becomes about Bordas and his culture. Yeah, Bordas isn't the main focus here, but it does become about Mocklin culture. It becomes about Lokar, his ex, and actually a lot of it focuses on the chief of security, Tala Kiali. And this is the interesting thing with culture, where you don't really think about the practices that exist within your own culture, but when you're confronted with what other people believe and the way that they engage with that, like then suddenly it's really not so much about learning about their culture as much as it is projecting your own cultural beliefs onto what it is that they believe. Yeah, and the value judgments therein, and whether it's right to judge other cultures, yeah. that kind of thing. Which this show has proven to be time and time again very judgmental of the Mocklin culture, You've even got points in this episode where characters are overtly saying that they can't believe that they're still dealing with the Mocklins based on their belief structures. Yeah, that it's an entirely utilitarian alliance, that yeah. they need them and that's why they're together, which actually is a pretty staple kind of scenario in geopolitics day. Yeah, which I totally get that. But at the same time, they've also got Bordas, who's a beloved member of the crew, that they all get along with very well. Okay, And it seems as though, like, if we go back to the second episode of the series about a girl... There's the crew trying to convince Bordas that his Mocklin beliefs about changing the gender of his daughter is incorrect. And it didn't actually take very much to really get him to get on board with the way that humans yeah. see this. I think, I think Bordas... So it just seems to me like while we see that there's this vast difference, like it's actually once a little bit of logic and compassion get applied, like there's actually a bit of a meeting of cultural beliefs. Yeah, there is. I mean, in any culture, you always have people who are dissident i guess against the norms of it and bordas seems a bit more like he seems a, a bit less convinced of some of the mocklin traditions yeah. um which whereas, could be why he's on the orville ships to begin with yeah but what the orville does really well is it, it doesn't kind of sugarcoat anything and his partner clyden is very much still a traditional mocklin and that comes out in this yeah um but i guess what we haven't explained and uh Spoilers, obviously, the Orville podcast. Um, what we haven't explained we, is... We should say, if you haven't yeah. seen this episode of the Orville, good idea to go and watch that episode. Yeah, go watch it first. Yeah. But what, what the... And, and come back. Yeah. But mm. what the inherent tension here is, is that Bordas's ex, Lokar, is actually straight, which in Mocklin culture is a weird thing to be. Yeah. So what we would see is a heterosexual person. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he's got an interest in ladies. Because, mm. I mean, their straight would be... Because everyone on Mocklin are male. Yeah. So like their straight would be well, not dudes. everyone. Most people. Well, yeah. Yeah, but if you're if you're attracted to to women, then it's a big no no in on Mocklas. Uh, one question I had that I feel like I'm not sure if it's come up previously was the cross species element of it. Is that something that is okay in Mocklin culture? 
I mean, it'd have to be if they're talking about the idea of uh, dating women because they don't have women on their planet. I mean, like that, the people are born as women, but well, born as girls, but they, but they generally get gender reassigned. Yeah. So in theory, if this is a occurrence of which has enough of a stigma against it, like surely there must be cross species. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. I just I, I feel like they wouldn't. I feel like there would not be any interspecies relationships. But they didn't seem to have a problem with interspecies. It was really with the gender. Uh, really? You think? Well, yeah, it, it seemed like uh, Tala's kind of, you know, uh, I can't remember what sort of... Uh, uh, she's a Zelayan. Zelayan. Super strong. Yes. Her species was irrelevant and it was the fact that she was a woman that was was the issue. With I guess this. it'd have to be if you were heterosexual in Mocklin because there aren't really any yeah. female Mocklins. Yeah. So... But, like, if she was a dude, Zelayan, it was probably all totally cool. Yeah, that was my question. Was there any uh, kind of cultural... Awkwardness with the fact that she's yeah. not Mocklin. I was thinking on a very similar tangent to you while I was watching the episode that we don't really see the show deal much with cross-species relationships, people from different planets, yeah. you know, getting it on. And I would think, and maybe I'm just a very adventurous person, but I would think that you've got a galaxy of different types of opportunities. Why wouldn't you try dating and relating with people from different cultures? To be fair, we have had Kelly and um, Derulio from Series 1. We've had... Claire, Finn, and Isaac now, robot and a human. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, I mean, Even Ed and uh, the... The uh, the Krill lady. The uh, Krill lady, who there's like undeniable chemistry between the two, and albeit, you know, she was yeah, kind she of was acting to, as a human. Yeah. Uh, we did see the date with Dan and Alara as well. Yeah. Didn't yeah. go well, though. Didn't go well. Well, it no. was his poetry that killed it. It's her, like, ignorance of his... Of, of his the, poetry. Oh, okay. All right. Of his creative passions. Yeah. Maybe. This feels like very personal to you. It feels like something that's happened in your life before. Well, his name's Dan. I feel a bit close yeah. to him. And you write a lot of poetry. Well, there's that. Dude, I don't know you and my personal life is none of your business. But yeah, I guess I guess you have seen a, a few of them, but it's not something that is the focus of the show. There's actually romance kind of is sort of on the back burner for the most part in the Orville for me. Like they tend to touch on a lot of other issues. Yeah. Now, what I got sort of a little bit curious about is because obviously we've got Clyden, who's very traditional in his belief systems, and you've got the ship captain of whom says at one stage that any Mocklin would be offended by what Lokar did. I think it was the ship captain that said that. Yeah. Like, obviously, these two are hardliners, but I do wonder broadly about the Mocklin people because we never really spent time on the planet outside of that one court case that we went there for. I'd be curious to know if people genuinely believe this or if it's much like with a lot of authoritarian countries where generally people are taught to, you know, toe the line, but there's generally like an undercurrent of a lot of people believing otherwise. Yeah, so but it'd be curious enough if Bordas is isolated in his, you know, openness to human beliefs and systems. I think calling Bordas open is maybe a little stretch too. Well, no, I think it's just we've seen him like being able to shift like pretty easily a number of true. times now. I'd say he's more tolerant, but clearly it's still like there's an undercurrent of an issue for him there. He's yeah. not in support of low car. No. He just chooses to ignore it. Yeah, he's by no means an ally. Yeah. He's just, he's uh, kind of, if anything, not even neutral, but passive. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it's the kind of culture, and this is, again, it's implied in the show for me, but it's it's the kind of culture where it's very heavily rooted in its traditions. And the, I think Bordas does say this at one point. He's like, the only things that have really sustained our culture are our traditions and our and our culture because uh, otherwise Mocklins would have died out. 
Yeah. Now, when I'm sort of thinking about these issues, they're kind of largely academic to me as I'm not really in a relationship with anyone from like a different culture. And it's not something that really sort of touches upon my life in a personal way. But I'm thinking, Sid, you just came back from India. You made a joke about, you know, possibly being married off while you're over there. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm thinking that for you, this is probably actually something that resonates a little bit stronger. Well, I mean, yes, I guess it does. I've had a lot of um, interaction with the South Asian queer community and that kind of thing. Um, as an ally. And often these kind of issues are very represented there as well. More so in the sense that homosexuality was legally, only just recently legalized in India and that kind of thing. So mm. until now, it was very much. It, marriage isn't permissible, though, is it? Marriage is not permissible, but yeah. it's no longer a crime to be gay, yeah. uh, which it was for a long time, which was a, a vestige of the British Empire and that kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, look, sometimes in these kind of cultures, it, it kind of feels like if you aren't actively helping, if you aren't actively an ally, you're kind of complicit in the repression. And I feel like that's central to to the Mokland culture. And the Mokland culture for me is, I'm a bit pessimistic about it. it. It just kind of feels like it's not really going to progress. And nor is it, I guess, and the Planetary Union Navy kind of makes this point. It's not their position to make it progress they're just there and they're just working with this culture and they feel like there's a divide there. But yeah, it just kind of feels like it's not the kind of culture that there'll ever be a reconciliation with properly. You do have to think like more Mocklands working on union ships will yeah. will help that situation somewhat though, right? Yeah. Where they are exposed to different beliefs and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And that's kind of it. That's that's what the Orville is. It's mm. an exploratory vessel. They're, they're going out and they're trying to work with other cultures. Yeah. I mean, it's also a lower tier exploratory vessel. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I do wonder how many Mocklins are on ships like this. And, and I, I guess that's a point about Bordas is he served on the Mockland Navy and then he made the jump to the Union Navy. So what does that say about Bordas as well? Like, why didn't he stay in the Mockland Navy? Is that, a, is that something we're going to find out later? I don't mm. know. Yeah. And you've got the existing tensions in the Clyden and Bordas relationship as well, which stem from when Clyden changed the gender of their child. Yeah. And since then, we've seen Bordas has had some, uh, like a number of issues connecting with his partner. Yeah, he almost brought down the ship with a porn virus. He did. Uh, but in we've this episode. <laughs> Classic. Uh, but we see at the end of this episode as well, like not everything is right in this relationship at all. No. no. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously cultural issues are playing a heavy role in Bordas. Like, I yeah. mean, it feels to me like this relationship is close to being terminated. Yeah. And we all know how that ends, how divorce is carried out on Mockless, where basically the aggrieved party murders the other one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have much hope for Clyde and Bordas. But also, Clyden's not a character I can really empathise with at all. Bordas, kind of, but Clyden, not really. Yeah, he's very fashionable, though. Yeah. Bordas or Clyden? Clyden. Bordas with a moustache. I'd argue Bordas with a moustache yeah. is the most fashionable. Yeah, but then he shaved it off and then suddenly it's back in Yeah, Clyden's but that's court. all Clyden's fault, too. <laughs> well, look, if, if their relationship does end, maybe Bordas' moustache comes back. Oh, one can only hope. <laughs> I actually wrote that as a note when I was watching the episode. <laughs> Uh, we see a returning uh, guest from a previous episode, Jenny from Engineering, of whom I believe is Lamar's girlfriend. I miss that. Is she Lamar? Like, they they went bowling together. Like, that's a pretty big sign. You don't go bowling with just a friend, do you? That is the most erotic of sports. <laughs> that's very true. I've I've been on several work outings bowling, like team building exercises, bowling. Yeah, what was really going on, Sid? <laughs> Read between the lines. I'm raising my eyebrows repeatedly. <laughs> Are you suggesting we should be putting on the shoes and going 10-pin ourselves? I think uh, I think all the land should go bowling. 
Yeah, I, I missed I missed that if if uh, Lamar and Jenny are going out. Well, she was only really in one scene, as I recall previously. She made cupcakes too. Well, she made cupcakes this week, and I was rudely rejected by Lokar. I, mm. I will say, I presume, like, she's part of the engineering staff, right? Mm. They're meant to be doing this quite intense test on the ship's defence systems. Surely she's got something to do. Not just bake cupcakes. Not just bake cupcakes and bring them around in that. Like, it's fine baking cupcakes, but surely she had an actual job in that moment (laughs) where she was bringing around cupcakes. Yeah, I don't know. Have you ever been on a Navy ship? I have not. Well, neither. (laughs) I mean, there were many parts of that scene that I questioned. It didn't feel particularly safe, that whole test. The defence systems security test seemed like a fraught exercise with a live crew on board. Well, okay, so one of my mates, he just went to the States on a Navy ship and basically they have to do this test when, when a new ship gets made where the United States will f- fire a missile at them and they have to shoot it down before it hits their ship to be like, oh, yeah, we can do that. So, so there's, I mean, there's a precedent really? for that. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, it, the missile doesn't have a warhead and it's, it's kind of programmed to divert off course so it doesn't plow into the ship. But, but yeah, that's what they do. I take it all back in that case. I apologise to all the people involved in that scene. Although, in this case, they were firing actual torpedoes, like live rounds into the the Orville. I don't know if you noticed when the torpedo hit, and Kelly and Ed both said, you know, no torpedoes, I think we agreed that. It felt like there was something bigger coming after that, but it just turned out it was a simple mistake, (laughs) and they accidentally fired a torpedo. Yeah, I love how realistic that makes this show feel. It's because someone on the Mocklin ship was busy making cupcakes. Yeah, it's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Not doing their job. Yeah. But yeah, so we should maybe just focus on Lokar and Tala for just a moment. Uh, so we do have Lokar telling Tala that, you know, he's into her. Lieutenant, I am attracted to you. So Lokar, he's drawn to females, and we do know it's forbidden to express these feelings, and punishment is a lifetime of imprisonment. Mm. Yeah. And then it was also punishment involved for the family of someone of whom violates this. I, I think it's less tangible punishment in a legal sense and more just the shame that it would bring upon them. I think he does mention that it would be unbearable for them. Mm. And that's often one of the things that does hold, like often a lot of people from migrant backgrounds who are queer or whatever, that holds them back from coming out. And actually that's why Lokar decided to fake his own death rather than, you know, even just abscond or leave. Like it's not as easy as just walking away from that culture because you're not the only one who's part of it. Your parents, your brothers, your sisters, they are too. So, yeah, tough situation. It was also raised that suicide was the ultimate form of bringing shame on on a Mocklin's family as well. So I, I imagine Lokar felt very stuck in that situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where he needed that's why he invented this elaborate ruse to kind of kind of free himself of that situation. Yeah, to pretend he'd been murdered. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, Chris, when we were watching her, you were struck at how much this felt like a rom com for a little while there. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to thinking about like rom coms on Mocklin. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Can you imagine how brisk the dialogue would be? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was thinking like the thing I'd like to see is what Mocklins want. <laughs> when Clyde and met Borders? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they'd have their own version of Hitch, but I'm not sure what they'd call it exactly. Well, there's the, that's that won't work because the ship's already got a Hitch, as discussed at length last <laughs> week, and that is Lamar. <laughs> I was thinking about their outfits and, like, maybe if we want to, like, embrace the classic Catherine Heigl film, it could be, like, 27 Tunics. Yep, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. Guys, um, you, you should please invite me over next time you watch a rom-com together. <laughs> 
what are you doing this evening? Yeah. We're going bowling and then watching some long coms. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hey guys, I brought us some good luck cupcakes. Oh my God, Jenny, those look amazing. Yeah, see, look, they have little Orville's on them. Uh-oh, tractor beam activated. It's pulling us in. Oh no! Now, before we get into like the real meat and potatoes of the episode here with the murder mystery that took place, I thought maybe we could just talk about the conclusion of the Cassius storyline. Cassius? Cassius. 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 So he's transferred to the USS Watson and he's heading up their educational training. And Kelly doesn't seem bothered by this in the slightest. It seems like it's the easiest way for her to extricate herself from this relationship. Yeah, she's had to do nothing. In fairness, he was a big old creep after they broke up, right? What, sending like constant message after message? Yes. And a big alien plant. But uh, yeah. Apparently it's delicious. Mm. Well, look, he definitely overstepped. He doesn't really understand boundaries at all. Clearly not. Like, I think that's solidified Kelly's decision in saying this is maybe not right. Now, I do wonder, like, in defence of Cassius... Cassius? Cassius. Cassius. Whether when you're in confines, something sort of that small where, you know, there's no way to really escape from your partner, like, it's probably quite difficult to sit there in your cabin just thinking about this person who's probably, like, 15 metres away of whom's just not responding to any of your texts. It's true. Well, it feels like maybe stop texting and if you really need to walk over that 15 metres. Yeah. Felt like there was another, or or take the hint way earlier. That's yeah. also an option. I, know, I just imagine it would be difficult. I, I'm not saying what he did was right by any means. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he should be getting us uh, the Orville equivalent of Tinder at yeah. that point. But Hit the apps. Yeah. <laughs> Especially considering that he's off the ship soon. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a good looking of, fellow. Yeah, he could do all right. He could do like whatever yeah. the equivalent of Orville Tinder premium is too. Set the radius to one light year and uh, exactly. Get, you know, try and get people on the on the Watson for <laughs> USS Watson for, you know, the next adventure. Just don't get catfished by a krill. That's true. Also, the Mocklin ship was nearby. Like, you know, if Mocklins are his thing. Are they his thing? I don't know. I, I think mean, I haven't spent that much time with Cassius. I think he, mm, Cassius? Cassius. Cassius. I think he's uh, straight, though, and all Mocklin are men. Oh, it should have been Lokar and Cassius. 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 Also, actually, no, it wouldn't have. That yeah, wouldn't have worked. That would not work at all. No. No, I take it back. I've is clearly missed the point of this episode. <laughs> is it because Cassius is like just really sort of thin and spine, like spindly? So no, it's because he's a man and uh, Lokar's not into that. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that Lokar would crush him like a twig. Oh, definitely. I believe I will try a cupcake. Although the Mocklins could be very gentle lovers for all I know. They do call sex the sexual event. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know what to take away from that. It's momentous, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, they urinate once a decade. Do they? And that's a big deal. So, Jaloja. Jaloja! Jaloja! Think about how much time you'd save. Anyway. <laughs> that begs questions to ask about Chris's urinary tract, but I'm going to move on and maybe focus a little bit more on the murder mystery that takes place in this episode. I found the actual murder mystery aspect just a little bit more... It was filling out time more than I found the rest of the episodes to be fairly interesting because I thought it was incredibly interesting the cultural differences taking place. But I found, like, the murder mystery, and maybe because I solved it, like, about a minute into it. Mm. Okay, so it turns out that Lokar had faked his death and he was really trying to get off the ship and pursue the life that he's always wanted. Well, he faked his murder. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, did you guys engage much with the murder mystery aspect of it? I think it's a shame, going back to your backlot taught, yeah. I think it's a shame that they didn't use the setting more 
you know, it is this 1950s New York setting. Yeah. And it could have played into some really classic murder mystery themes. Like film noirish <laughs> Yeah, kind of exactly. Yeah. But instead you just see the holographic Clyden walk out and shoot him. You basically just get that one scene, whereas if we could have made more of the setting somehow... I think yeah. it, it would have been... Because it was the sort of story which should end in like a parlour is like there's the revelation that he's still alive. It should exactly. have been a space parlour, Ex- is what we're yes, saying. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Clyden with the space gun in the parlour. <laughs> with the moustache. Yes. Or Bill Cluto. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think what you said earlier is, for me, the main part about the murder mystery is that him having to fake his death, uh, fake his murder is the point as opposed to the actual mm. uh, narrative of the murder mystery. It's the fact yeah. that he had to do that, which which is what the Orville tries to do. It tries to make that kind of social commentary. It's not necessarily the plot line there that's the important part. Yeah, but when we were looking at the idea of the hologram that was used in order to create the fake Clyde and to, you know, fulfill the fake murder that took place, mm. uh, got us thinking about a different type of fake, which is deep fakes. Yeah, yeah, deep fakes and the falsification of evidence in general is what we're going to talk about this week. So Lokar basically engineered his way into the simulator and made a holographic Clyden walk in and murder him. And uh, I think there's a few interesting precedents even in recent history for this, deep fakes being one and the effect that that has. But also, even if you think back a couple of months to the White House releasing a doctored video of um, Jim Acosta, CNN journalist, appearing to karate chop a White House press aide, like that's that's that kind of like fake news and doctored video being taken as gospel and then having to be found to be false is a pretty interesting like precedent. Some interesting I mean, the fact times. that didn't look particularly convincing was one of the bigger issues of it. Yeah, but it took one guy to prove how it was doctored for people to be like, oh, yeah, it's doctored. Now, last year we were doing a podcast for SBS, which was based around the TV show The Good Fight. Now, in an episode of that, they looked at deep fakes and they were looking at two things. One, fake video and the way that people can have their face added onto other people's bodies. But then there's also deep fakes with audio where you can actually fake people's phone calls. Uh, well, fake people's uh, conversations. And there's actually like interesting software around. So I know Adobe's got one and there's like a few other companies sort of competing. But you can now get like a celebrity voice, for example, and create what it is that they're saying. It doesn't sound completely authentic, but like it sounds incredibly close now. And I'm thinking just a couple of years from now, like they're really going to nail that. Oh my gosh. And just think about like audio evidence, like that's going to be really hard to ascertain as to what's real and what isn't. But video is, I think, particularly sophisticated. And an area where that's being played with heavily is not for any real legitimate reasons, but deep fakes get used a lot in pornography. When doing a minimal amount of research on this, I found a really interesting... Sorry, was this related research for the episode we're doing or just your own private research? Uh, it was related to the episode, sure. as always, Dan. Well, you're a professional. That's true. So Scarlett Johansson gave an interview with the Washington Post where she actually spoke about being the kind of victim or subject of deepfake porn. Well, because she's often the target of a lot of this kind of stuff. So there's like private photos of hers that have been leaked around the place in the past. And I think that regularly when there's deepfake videos, like she's kind of the face of these things. Often, yeah. And she, I thought, had a really interesting take on the whole thing. She basically said that uh, obviously she was very against it and thought that it was, you know, a cruel and demeaning activity, but that she didn't want, she wasn't going to pursue taking these videos down for a few different reasons. One, she felt like her fame kind of protected her, Mm. that she was famous enough that people would know that these are fake videos. 
And the two, it's just the the nature of the internet would make them so hard to remove that it almost didn't feel worth it uh, in terms of pursuing it. But she finished off, I think, by making a really interesting point that she's not in as grave a danger as someone who has less of a public figure. Her her quote was, she, oh, Wikipedia states that... <laughs> You're doing your source. research. Yeah. <laughs> She wasn't going to remove them because she didn't feel like they affected her public image and that differing laws across countries and the nature of internet culture make any attempt to remove the deepfakes a lost cause. But she also believed that while celebrities like herself are protected by their fame, deepfakes pose a grave threat to women of lesser prominence who could have their reputations damaged by depiction in involuntary deepfake pornography. Now, see, first of all, I think ScarJo is just incredibly sharp. Like, any time I hear her speak, like, she's always got, like, very sort of pertinent points. But I think it's very smart here where she's talking about people of whom are in lesser positions of power. And I think maybe about, like, say, teenage girls, for example. Like, you often hear about, like, people who've had, like, sexting photos leaked and that kind of thing. Revenge porn and like, that kind of thing, Revenge porn. Yeah. But, like, isn't, like, the idea of, like, the ultimate revenge porn being something of which they haven't even partaken in, but rather, like, there's just the presumed assumption that they have? Yeah. Like, there's no control over your identity in those sort of positions. And if you think about people of whom, like... I guess, uh, work out this technology sooner than most, often it's teenage boys. Yeah. Okay, you think about hacker culture, like these are the people that work out how these tools work. And you'd have to think like revenge pornography from a, you know, deep fake perspective, like this is hugely problematic coming into schoolyards. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's harassment really. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think was another thing that came up whilst I was looking around too, is that there's no specific laws there's no specific law against this, against kind of deep fake pornography or any other sort of deep fake, but it can fall under a whole lot of different laws, but there's nothing to specifically target that one offence, if that makes sense. Mm. So it can fall under, you know, harassment and a bunch of other important laws, but I think there are discussions going on at the moment as to whether it should form its own category. Yeah, because in the context of pornography, definitely, it's, it can be incredibly harmful to mm, someone. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the only other kind of uh, context I've seen it in is when people superimpose Steve Buscemi's face or Nicolas Cage's face onto various people, giving speeches, that kind of thing. Have I think you, Jennifer Lawrence, Steve Buscemi's a pretty recent one. That's a good one. The, the classic Adam Driver, Keanu Reeves one, where <laughs> it's literally impossible to tell who is who in that, in that scenario. So good. Have you seen any with Nicolas Cage being put onto Nicolas Cage's body from other films? No, that's a great idea, though. It might be too much like Inception. Yeah. Anyway, guys, that's probably the point where we need to wind up the conversation. Uh, this has been Orville Land. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Chris Fagans, thank you very much for coming along. You're welcome. Yeah, it's always appreciated. I'm sure here. we'll get you back into the Orville Land studios at some point. Sid Sharma, I guess you're back next week? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. I'm back, I'm back for good. Okay. Uh, much like Justin Timberlake bringing sexy back. Yes, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, Sid, you're on Instagram. People can hit you up for Orville Land-related conversations there. Sure can. You can do find me... Do that on Instagram? No, no one does no. that. Guys, do that more, please. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Amraz, A-M-R-H-S, A-M-R-A-H-S, which is my magician name, also my name backwards. So. Yeah, and Chris is famously not on the internet. Yes, don't yeah. find me. He only goes fair for wikipedia.com and that's it. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> and a little website called sbs.com.au slash on demand. Oh, that a lot. That's where I spend a huge amount of time enjoying the good quality content <laughs> that exists on that website. You just sound so sarcastic, Chris. <laughs> it's a fine website. You can see shows like The Orville there. That's true. Each and every darn week. 
You can find me on social media platforms at the Dan Barrett. Okay, but this winds down Orville land for another week. We'll be back next week. I believe Shelley's back in the saddle at that point. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. Let's hope she feels better. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time.